2: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Colick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone. Think With me, maybe, is my co-host, all the way from across the pond, the most haunted ghost finder, General Dolph Richard Felix. Nope. We lost him. Okie dokie. Here we go. (laughs) What is this? I'm here. He's
1: happy. Yay! He's here. Hello, hello, hello. Richard, how are you? Is there anybody there?
2: I can hear you. Richard? Ah, dear. Anyways, we have a great show. We have lots of cigarettes to reveal tonight because we have a gentleman who has written an outstanding book, a book called The Book of Cigarettes. And I understand that all will be revealed once we uh, delve into this book.
1: So as Hello, can we... you hear me? Okay, that's to... you Is there anybody there?
2: I am here, Richard. Can you hear me?
1: I, only just, yeah, but I, I'm... Yay, you are here. I've been yeah. on the phone instead. Okay, you there? Yep, I'm here, I'm on the phone now instead. Obviously something wrong with Skype. I do apologise for that. Uh, oh, good, Can, you, can know, you hear me okay? Yep, yeah, I can hear
2: you fine, Richard. You sound outstanding. Oh, thank you so much. Outstanding <laughs> <entertaining> in a <laughs> field—that is, I don't know, whatever.
1: Outstanding. I know i outstand- I was outstanding in a field earlier with my dogs, funnily enough. But I'm actually back inside the office now. So, uh, but yeah, I was panicking then because I don't know what's wrong with. Uh, I'm not at Derby Jail tonight. You see, I'm actually, I'm in my haunted house instead. No, you always tell me your house was not haunted. I don't think it is, <laughs> but it could be. I mean, listen, listen. It might be. It was built in 1690, and there was something on the site before.
2: But you know, what? Um, you know what, Richard? What wasn't built in
1: 1619 in your UK? Yeah. <laughs> um, hang on a minute. Let me think about it. Uh, what wasn't? Uh, there are, I have driven past a few houses, but funnily enough, for some for some reason. They're not. They're not um, built in in 1690, but were built in sort of 1970, would you believe? But there's really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I, I mean, come on, we we can. We've got houses. Uh, I mean, the first brick-built house in Derby, which of course I did did the um, you know the show from, that the, the house, was built in 1611. Brick-built. I mean, it's it 1611. 1611. Yeah, yeah. It's a long time ago when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. America was very young then, wasn't it? Uh, we were even there. I don't even know. If we <laughs> I don't well, know. well, I think you were. Was it? Wasn't it about sixteen, sixteen twenty? I think when, when somebody was here. When, you know,
2: if it wasn't the. So, listen. Uh,
1: the, uh, the Native <laughs> if, Americans were there.
2: If it wasn't Columbus or the Vikings or the Irish monks or the I think they all. Can. Who the hell yes. knows? You know what yes. I'm saying?
1: Yes, yes, yes. They all came. They all came. <laughs> they saw and they conquered, didn't they? <laughs> hey. Mm. Oh, my gosh. There you go, my friend. Um, how's things? Anything exciting to tell me?
2: Uh, well, just got my... Oh, you know what's actually kind of cool tonight is I'm doing my paranormal study group.
1: Oh, yes.
2: And it is going to be on table tipping. Oh, oh table tipping. A table whatever is, turning, tilting. Table, having, yeah, table, tilt, whatever yeah. it is.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy, you should have a good time. Listen, if I've got time, I've got something really quite interesting. Oh, to, yeah, to we'll, we'll wait,
2: wait for him to get a hold of, uh, I guess. So Not it,
1: a problem. Let, listen you know? to this. I have a, a very good, I have a very good friend called Tim who, who's um, working on various projects with me at the moment, including this haunted car business. But I was telling him about Cal Cooper that we had on last week. Oh, yeah. On the telephone. Conversations mm-hmm. And, you know, the ghostly phone calls and all that. And Tim was telling me, A, about a, a very interesting incident. I'm sure Cal probably knows about it. Not, I must get in touch with him. Perhaps you've heard of it. Of some guy that was really, as m- most people are frightened of, of being buried alive, right. uh, or waking up in the coffin or whatever. He actually had a mausoleum built uh, for him with a telephone in it. <laughs> with a, li- a telephone line, a proper line with a phone number, in the mausoleum with him. He wasn't, he wasn't buried in the ground. He was buried, you know, in a, in a, what have you, a, a room underground mm-hmm. um, on, a, on a shelf. And there was a phone on the side of the, on the, side of the shelf by the coffin. Oh. And, yes, and one night a phone call came from the mausoleum and his wife answered the phone. Now, he was dead. He'd, he'd been buried. He was dead and buried in the, in the mausoleum, and the phone rang from inside the mausoleum. There was, no, there was no message, there was no voice on the other end, but they traced the number, and the number had come from that phone. Now, out. <laughs> now then, and listen, the, the, anyway, Tim was then telling me that, of course, the fear of people obviously be, being buried alive, and in the old days, as you know, they had a bell. Uh, and they, they they rang it, sort of had it attached to their hand or their finger in the coffin. But apparently, Tim, for many years, worked for a funeral directors uh, here in in Derbyshire, and he was telling me that the number no, two things. Number one, apparently, most most, and, and Cal may disagree with this. A lot of the the, the ghostly phone calls come from analog phones rather than digital phones, which is a, something interesting. But the second thing is that Tim was telling me the number of people that insist on being buried with their mobile phone. Hmm. And they all, if they're going to be cremated, they actually search the body and take the phone out because the, um, whatever, lithium battery inside the phone will explode in in so, the in the fire, so they take the phone. Do they put it in with the ashes in the urine? They, yes, yes. They take the phone away from the body, but but he said the number of people that that, that are, have actually got their phone on the you know insist on the family putting the phone with them when they're being buried. Now, what about that? That is
2: simply amazing, and isn't it know, awesome? I think it's. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Anyway, is isn't it? I, 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 I understand. I understand. We have our guest with us now. Okay. Oh, George! Yes, and and uh, he has written his book, uh, Richard, called "The Book of Cigarettes." And this is kind of up your your lane because
1: uh, I mean, aren't you a Mason? I was indeed a Freemason. I suppose um, I, I I would imagine I don't know once a Freemason, always a Freemason. I, I would think, but I, I had to to um, unfortunately I I. I not resign, resigned because I couldn't afford the time to do it. That. Right. But right. yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, obviously. The I'm very interested. This sounds fascinating. Anyways, this
2: gentleman who uh,
1: has written this book, he
2: is a martial arts expert and practitioner. So is and, I. And yeah, oh, see, there you go. Uh, he holds yeah. black black belts in various uh, Eastern and Western disciplines. And uh, so without any further ado, why don't we bring him on the line and see what this book of cigarettes is all about. He is no, no other than Daniel Pineda. Oh, God. Pineda. <laughs> <Pandina, or> whatever. <laughs> oh, come on, Ronald. Hello. <laughs> hey, Daniel, how, how do you say your last name? I,
0: I apologize for that. It, it's, a, it's a Spanish last name. It's Pineda. Uh, but you did good. Pineda fine. Canada works. Oh, yeah. I can't. He's not it. very
2: good at
1: he's not very good at pronunciations, you know. It, it's just fine. It's just
0: fine. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought and about having has... a a nom de nom de plume, you know, that way it would make it easier, like John Smith or something. But nom yeah. de plume. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he still has problems with Kieran O'Keefe, by the way.
1: Uh, we, we're not going there <laughs> uh, we're not going there richard
2: okay uh, <laughs> I'm done. He's not speaking to me as it is. I don't need any more
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are having too much fun talking about all this stuff. This is supposed to be some serious scholarly stuff here
1: it is uh, <laughs> well, well, listen, we have to have we have to have fun. Yeah, that's
0: what it makes the world go round. <laughs> really? Joe so... always kept me from falling asleep when I was researching. <laughs> you're looking at some old some old document and you're like, oh, wow, this is not as interesting or as sexy as, you know, the, the Ghost Whisperer or whatever, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, 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 so it, in fact, before go we go any farther,
1: I I think he has a problem with, I think he also has a problem with the pronunciation of the word secrets, is that right? Oh, Oh,
0: here we go. Let's not be too mean to the host here.
2: (laughs) You know what, I don't get get paid enough for this, All right, Do you get my micros? That's great, this is great. So anyways, um, on the serious side, what the heck is this book of secrets? I mean, it's intriguing, I have looked at it,
0: not so I do know what it's about, but how would you well, uh, describe it i would describe it as an introduction really to um what comprises the secret tradition um in the, mostly in the west although you know this idea of east east or western traditions is kind of silly because we've been talking human beings have been talking and trading with each other and exchanging ideas uh forever so um You know, a lot of the concepts of people I know nowadays are are much more familiar, tend to be more familiar with the Eastern concepts of, for example, yin-yang or uh, the Buddhist concepts, but many of the same concepts are found in the Western traditions, and so this is an introduction to those things. And, you know, we touch on, in the book, we touch on uh, the astral plane and on the ghosts and on uh, also spiritual beings of all types and and, uh, really kind of look into what the... What the Western masters have to say about these things.
1: Oh, I say. So, 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 my is, This is
2: Richard. Richard, is there and Daniel? Is there Illuminati out uh, they
0: controlling the world? Absolutely, there are the Good. Illuminati. But but they're but it's you and me and everybody. We're all controlling the world. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> We're all the center of our own universe, universe, aren't we? Yeah, that's the big secret of of the secrets. Is that uh yeah. At the end of the day, it's you. You're the... I, you're I agree part. with you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we are the center of our own universe.
0: Each one is an individual. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really what I would say the message... I think a lot of times that self-centered view is perverted and used as an hmm. excuse to, you know, just do whatever you want and and, and, uh, and hurt people or to be selfish. Oh, yeah. But um, if you take that view as being that every single person that you encounter is an aspect of that unity and that, you, you know, every every spiritual being or every idea is an aspect of yourself, then there's really no room for that selfishness because um, you realize that you're all in this together. So there's a little bit of a perspective shift that occurs. Yeah, yeah.
1: But each person, let's let's be honest, every person believes themselves to be and is unique. Uh, you know, there's only one. We we may look like someone else, we may act like someone else, we may we may sound like someone, else, but you know, every every single being on this planet and what's beyond is is unique and individual. And it, the, as I keep saying, it really, if, it, if we only realise, it, the centre of our own universe, aren't we?
0: Yes, yes, definitely. And that's what that's really what the secret traditions are all about. Um, and they're about instructing someone in reaching that conclusion on their own through experience rather than through theory. So that's really what would separate, I would say, the mystery traditions from uh, religions based on, you know, you, you listen to what the Founder said or you read what the Founder says and so you believe what you don't believe. The mystery traditions are, are essentially Gnostic in nature in that it's through experience – through work, you can actually experience the divine presence here and now, rather than uh, at some later date uh, in an urn with a cell phone. Uh, So So that's kind of the idea, is to experience it right now.
1: (laughs) But of course, religion, or many religions, of course, um, over the years, have tried to take away the individuality of us, uh, because... You know, obviously, how can I put it? Uh, you know, if everyone thinks they're an individual, then then no one can control them. I suppose, is is, is and that's what's happened, isn't it, over the years? Exactly. But we have been controlled.
0: Yes, yes. But you know, it's it's through the willing. We have been willing. Yeah. We have been willing slaves in many ways, because we've traded. Uh, we've traded it for security. Yeah. Well, like cheap. Uh, yeah. And, that's, and you know, from a certain point of view, that's what society is. Society is the trade-off. You know, you're trading off a certain level of autonomy for uh, a certain level of security, and that's just kind of how it works. Um, however, you know, what we try to do as, uh, as initiates is we try to consolidate uh, those things. We try to synthesize them so that uh, we don't lose ourselves along with working with others. And that's kind of the idea of taking oaths and all that, you know, being able to be predictable.
2: (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, Daniel, why did you write this book, I mean, and and how did you even go about to write it?
0: Well, um, I began writing the book kind of as a surprise. Um, (laughs) A friend of mine is a a writer and, excuse me, publisher. And I've been helping him for quite some time doing editorial work and proofreading and, and stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> Wiser came up with this idea for a book on the secret tradition, uh, kind of as an introduction to the new, to a new reader. And, um, he was very busy doing the work on Jerusalem and he was traveling all over the world and being kind of Indiana Jones. And, uh, he put my name forward. And so I, I, Accept He called me up and said, "Hey, you got to accept that. You got. I'm going to ask you to do something, but you got to say yes before I ask you." And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said yes, and uh, ooh, got this Thank assignment. You. And I went about writing it just by sitting down and thinking to myself, "Okay, what you know? If you're starting out on this stuff, there's a lot of books that go through symbols and go through meanings of dreams and things like that. But how can you approach this stuff with the right perspective?" Meaning in balance uh, and and toward uh, a good kind of outcome, a positive, so that it has a positive influence on your life. You know, so that was mm. really how I went about writing the book. So I don't just put down, "Oh, this is what an eye in a triangle means." I say, "Well, this is what an eye in a triangle means if what you're trying to do is make your life better through this symbol." So it's mm. kind of self-help and reference. <laughs>
1: And, and so, did a lot of your ideal sort of uh, ideas, for want of a bit come from the fact that you are uh, involved
0: in martial arts and, and, and things from the East, that sort of thing? Yes, yes. Uh, mm, yeah. You know, the martial arts has to work. Just like the mystery tradition, um, just like, uh, you know, magic or mysticism or any of that stuff. Um, you know, the thing is, if you play a song for someone and they don't like it, uh, it, art is subjective in many ways. So it, it works for me, it doesn't work for me. But in the martial arts, if you don't move out of the way, you get your nose broken. And so there's this kind of objectivity to martial arts in that, yes, it's still an art form, and yes, you know you are expressing yourself, but at the same time, buddy, you better get out of the way because there's a sword coming at you. And uh, my approach to the spiritual uh, traditions is pretty much the same. Is that yes, there's a subjective aspect to, uh, to it. However, there are certain principles that must be uh, non-negotiable, or you're going to end up a cautionary tale. Gotcha. You know, so that's <laughs> that's how we approach it. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so I mean, did you do any physical, like for instance, uh, you must did when you did pieces on the Masons, did you interview Masons or? I mean, how did you go about it? I mean,
0: my my great grandfather is a Mason, uh, so I grew up with a lot of um, <clears throat> excuse me that that sort of stuff um, around me. I, I'm a member of a couple different uh, fraternities, spiritual fraternities that um, many of the mem- the founding members were Masons, uh, and I have many friends that are in part of the local lodge, the local Masonic Lodge, uh, mm-hmm. so I spoke to them as well. And, you know, what I really wanted to do was respect the rights and privileges of Masonry. I did not want to um, divulge any secrets or, you know, I really did, I didn't want to show things that, you know, and in terms of Masonry, the secrets are the word, the grip, the sign. You know, that's, those are the real things that that, that you want uh, you want to make sure you don't divulge, because each Lodge might have a different one, or you know, there's there's things you don't want to talk about as, a, as in respect to the Mason. So, um, I really wrote my piece on Masonry with the highest respect and admiration for that fraternity. Um, you know, without which, which has without a doubt influenced uh, the world in in oh, yeah. humongous ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, very very much so. Yeah. But you see, the thing is, that as you call it, a fraternity, um, a brotherhood, um, sisterhoods, whatever—they um, are, you know, groups of people that come like-minded people that come together in the same way. To be honest, I always refer to it in the same way as a as a soccer team does. Um, yes. You become you become teammates, friends, uh, eat and drink together. Celebrate together. um, When things don't go so well, you're you're there, you know, for each other. When you lose, Um, and and people for some reason. And and the other thing is, it seems you know, it's a similar thing as um, if 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 your goalie, goalkeeper, or whatever it was, um, owns a a TV uh, company or something, then he'll probably give you discount because you're a team team member uh, mm-hmm. and so you 'll get the TV a bit cheaper, and it 's exactly the same in Freemasonry and and any other as you call it fraternity, you know it, yes. but people seem to get jealous of it and think that they're secret societies that are you know and it, it always has to be
0: bad, doesn't it, and it's not yep. well, we tend to project evil when we have ignorance, you know wherever we, have a, uh, wherever we have a dark spot in our sight. We imagine bad things, <laughs> which most well, of the time, you know, if you're talking about evolutionary, you know, uh, if you're talking about evolution, then you're right. You what, know, what's in the dark? Right, the only things that will bite you and hurt you and things.
2: Exactly. Like that. That's
0: that was just, that's, <laughs> that's just say, yeah. that. What you know, what is evil? The absence of light. You know, I mean, that's what yeah. said fine. So do- I mean, it's okay. That's okay. But when it comes to fraternities and spiritual secret societies, many, many of the time, the secrets are really there to help. The candidate because the way that we instill the lesson many times uh is through the element of surprise and through the fact that the candidate has no idea what's about to happen to them so they're in a state where they're very receptive because they're looking for the next uh the next piece and so when you when they're at that level when you throw at them when you present them with a teaching um it it sticks You know, I could come up to you every day and say, hey, you know, love your neighbors as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if I put you in a situation where you are absolutely destitute and your neighbor has to step forward and vouch for you, uh, then for the rest of your life you will have that lesson readily at hand.
1: (laughs) Yes, very true. That's fascinating.
2: (laughs) Now, I mean, in your book you you go into a little bit about uh, symbols. And what is there true meaning to symbols or is it just something we
0: perceive? I think that like everything, it's always it's an, it's not either or. I think it's yes and this too. You know, is that the yes symbols have an inherent meaning to them. I, I do believe that. But I believe that <laughs> over time, depending on a culture or, or even the experience of the individual that your personal relationship with that symbol can also change. Uh, so, for example, I had a Catholic upbringing, a very good Catholic upbringing, and I never had any bad experiences in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. I, everything was, <clears throat> excuse me, was always great. And so, when I see a Catholic church, or when I see the Virgin Mary, or when I see uh, uh, Jesus crucified, I don't have an, an immediate. Uh, bad feeling. I I actually feel I feel like you know a little a little boy. I feel like it's home to me. Even though I don't share all the beliefs of Catholicism, I, it does not threaten me in any way. Or as someone who grew up and had some horrible experiences, uh, I I would understand their aversion to those symbols. And so mm-hmm. you know, the, so there's the key part of the symbol which transcends the personality. I guess what you would have called an archetype. And uh, then there's how we relate that archetype which changes according to the individual you know so I think it's both and I think because it's both we're actually uh, blessed in a way that it's both because if you just came hardwired with all this stuff we'd be little automatons you know just doing mm-hmm. you know just going about our little we would be like little ants <laughs> but, <laughs>
2: but do, do symbols have power in themselves or do we give the symbols power
0: I think that most of the time we give symbols power. I think there are yeah. certain symbols such as death or sex that has an innate, an inherent power over us because we have to work with that symbol. There is no way not to look at death. Uh, there's no way not to look at mm-hmm. sickness or sex or any of these things. Um, so those symbols, it, it, you, you need to work with them. And because of that, they do exert a certain amount of power over you uh, from the outset. But most of the time, I think what we do is we idealize um, our own fears, our own pleasure, you know, our own, our own uh, desires, and we feed into them uh, through, through symbol. And, some, and I think most of the time it's very healthy. Uh, and it, really the times when it's not healthy are the times everyone hears about. <laughs> right. But I think right. most, of the time it's, most of the time it's just fine for people to do that, I think. We're going to have to take a break
2: right now. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the world-famous Richard Felix. Uh, <laughs> now, now, I just heard God talking. Did you hear God talking? <laughs> okay, I guess we're not taking a break, we're not right now. <laughs> so, anyways, carry on. <laughs> no, but you know, you know what's interesting is um, uh, the power of symbols. For instance, the swastika, as we know it, was oh, yeah, originally uh, it was it was, it was originally a good symbol. It was, uh, yeah, Roman, wasn't it? Uh, I think it goes to the uh, Eastern rites. I believe these does it? Uh, Chinese or something, uh,
0: Indian or something? Uh, do you know a little bit about this, uh, Daniel? I have actually seen swastikas all over the place. I've seen okay. swastikas in the east. I've seen them in the western stuff. Um, I think that it, from what I, from my studies, I've learned that back before we really had the technology <laughs> to carve uh, curved lines uh, very skillfully, we at first, you know, the first thing you learn to do is the straight line, and the swastika is the swirling of the sun it's a solar system. Oh, Really? Um, uh, according to some of the some some interpretations of it. You know, you never yeah. know. You got to go into the head of the first guy to do a swastik, gotta really <laughs> <a hero. Yeah. laughs> what was going <laughs> on. Yeah. Maybe, right. maybe maybe he saw some sticks like that and he just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here we are thousands of years later saying it's the sun or something.
2: All right. Now 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 I have been told that we are going to take a break. Yeah. So, anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Richard Felix and Ron Kolick. That was kind of a, a letdown from the last one, wasn't it, Richard? That was a big yeah, letdown.
0: <laughs> and a um,
2: very, very special guest has been Daniel Panada. Thank you. you <laughs> got it. Panada. Thank you. And we wrote the book of secrets, and uh, we'll be right Later. back after the following messages. <laughs> On Net, Pararex, Ghost Joe, and Beyond.
1: Welcome to net radio with a cutting edge.
0: The creepy
1: and the kooky, mysterious and spooky, they all
2: talk goblin gookie. The Pararex family. The show's a par.
1: <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. Scares me. So, anyways, if you're bored
2: and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles: Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Phillips and Ron Kolok. And uh, join us tomorrow night for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, where we will have uh, Deb Miller, who actually speaks to people in comas and anhyzer disease or whatever that is. Uh, so, anyways, today we have uh, Daniel. Why do I have to keep saying this? Just is making a hot. <laughs> <laughs> you're very old. Well, you're rotten to him. You really are. Uh, right. Oh, the book. Daniel Pineda. 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 Uh, who is the author of the book of signals? You know, I should be messing with this guy. He's got a freaking black belt and something or
0: other. You know. It's all right. The more the more black belts means that you won't get hurt if you mess with us. The, the beginners are always the ones that hurt you. <laughs> the higher the level you are, the, the less likely you are to hurt anybody. Really? Was it black belts in karate, yo? <laughs> um, I have uh, black belts in uh, a lot of oh. Japanese systems. Oh. Nine separate uh, Japanese systems. I'm also a, a master instructor Philippine martial arts and a full wow. instructor oh. of uh, Bruce Lee's uh, fighting method, Jeet Kune Do.
1: Oh, I say? Right, uh, well, that I, makes I took, me a I, bit insignificant.
0: I, 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 wait a minute. I took Aikido
2: in college, which was... That's great. That's hundred. would you take it you. to, Ron? <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Richard. That was a good one. Anyways, <laughs> so we are talking about the... Oh, wait a minute. Uh, you, you also have martial arts, don't you, Richard?
1: Oh well I, was, I, I did taekwondo for about uh, nine years, but I failed my black belt, I'm afraid. Oh. So, well, well. yeah, unfortunately. I... Had to, I um, I was instru- i was doing too much instructing and not being instructed enough. Uh, and oh. then I, I, in the end, I, I got married and I resi- i resigned. And then four months after I left, they put me in for my black belt. And I thought, I'll oh, go on then. I'll <laughs> go for it. <laughs> and I failed. So I'm a failed black belt. <laughs> God,
2: but it, God, it's God. better better to have tried and failed than not to have tried at all. You're, yeah. you're
1: right. Absolutely
0: right, yeah. Yes, 100% yeah. agree with that statement.
2: So, yeah, no, any, so anyways,
1: anyways, thanks, Rob.
2: <laughs> that's all right, Richard. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, Daniel, uh, I mean, this this book does, we were talking a little bit about symbols, which I, I think are extremely important. Uh, you know, the people with the uh, conspiracy uh Theories who talk about uh, for instance washington d c and if they uh, they get all the the buildings have all kinds of symbols in them that are all Freemasonry and, a, and it means it's all about the luminari and I mean what is truth and what is not in that? Is, is that truth or is it I think well you know
0: the Masons are just like any other group of people. You know, they have jobs, they do things. And if you have a certain belief that uh the symbols that you work with are are beautiful and uh can really um, help uh humankind be better, then you're gonna put them in, in funny places. You're gonna put them in places where people see them. Uh and you know, the the architects that over the years have worked in Washington D C uh, either, you know, designing the buildings or putting the art you know, wherever it goes, or the different uh, statues. Um, I don't think you need to be in a secret society in order to know that, you know, a sword uh, means power and balances mean justice. So that, you know, um, you know, an eye, with the, the Alstein eye throughout, has been used throughout history uh, to symbolize providence. And, and the, watch, the watchfulness of, of God. Um, so I think that, yes, there's definitely something to the design theory that, that Washington was designed in order to uh, be kind of center of occult wisdom. But at the same time, I, I really don't think that it's one group or one person or one or even one ideology that has gone into it. I think it's a melting pot, which is what you know, what really, what our country is, what the United States is. It's a melting pot of ideas and, and symbols that. Hopefully, uh, we can use to be better. You know, <laughs> hopefully, we can learn from them. Yeah, when you
1: mentioned Washington, do you, did you mean Washington, the 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 city, Washington was DC? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Because uh, so, uh, I mean, funnily enough, George Washington was a Freemason, wasn't he? Oh, there were there were quite a few Freemasons, the, the founding fathers, yeah. but that's that's, that's the
0: Yes, George yeah. Washington was actually the the master of the lodge. Uh, yeah. that he was yeah. a part of. Yeah. And ben, ben Franklin was the master of the lodge in Paris. Indeed, that's uh, right. I yeah. think it's the yeah. seven, seven Sisters Lodge, I believe. He was uh, yeah. the master of in Paris. Uh, and that's the, the funny thing about Franklin. I've included him in my book. Um, oh. uh, he's, he's in there. And um, uh, the reason I included him was, you know, he wasn't an occult writer. He he didn't do, you know, books on magic or street or anything like that. But <laughs> if you look at what he wrote, if you look at his approach to, uh, spirituality and to morality and just to, to living life. Um, it was very wise and very seasoned and very practical. And that, that I think is the result of, of some serious self study, um, which is what the secret traditions are about. So, so I I put him in there because he's, he's definitely uh, worthy to be next to, um, yeah. Some of the other uh, occult luminaries.
1: Yeah. I'm a great fan of, of, of Ben Franklin. Of course, I mean, I
0: mean actually, I live
1: in, in, in Derby, or should I say Derby, uh, Derby. In, right in the centre of, of, of England. And Benjamin Franklin actually visited my, my city three times. Oh, wow. Here in Great Britain. Came uh, the house where he stayed is still still here in the centre of, of of Derby and he was a a member I don't whether really you know of this of a of, because I mean, he was a great scientist and, and philosopher and, and a great man and he was a member of a group the local group here um, called the Lunar Society <laughs> who were which is where lunatics came from because they they, <laughs> I did not they know used that. did you not know oh right well no. he was. Um, yeah, he came to Derby. He was a big friend of a guy um, called Erasmus Darwin, uh, who, of course, was the, the, the grandfather of Charles Darwin, of Origins of the Species. And he used to come to, to Derby, and they used to ride to scientific meetings on a full moon. Uh, and it was, it was purely, nothing sinister in it. It was purely and simply the fact that, of course, they could see better. So, we're better, talking yeah. about the 17, 1760s, sixties, seventeen seventies. So so it was like street lighting, you know, they always rode on a full moon and they were known as lunatics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great How about that? Yeah. That's great. See, that reminds me of so many things that, that the you know, that secret societies have done over time, or um, right. that individuals have done that you get some sort of like sinister uh, story when really it was oh. for a very practical reason.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? And that's all it was.
0: You know, it was a much better <laughs> idea to do it on a full
1: moon. You could yeah. see where
0: you were going.
2: <laughs> Richard, wasn't was Ben Franklin also a member of the Hellfire Society? Oh,
1: do-do-do-do-do. I, I yes. don't, I'd be very interested. To, do you think, I believe was he? he was. I believe ah. he was.
0: It's part of the Hellfire Club. Hellfire
1: I wouldn't Society. Be so, yeah. But again, again, here we go, guys. Same old thing, you see. Um, we're, we're talking of, of, they've been demonized. Yep. uh and, and i'm sure there was a you know i I would imagine there possibly was in, in all societies um a certain amount of sex and drugs and rock and roll um that went, all the good <laughs> went <laughs> on went <laughs> on yeah but but at the end of the day they they were mainly um, sort of high class sort of usually gentlemen um that sort of had um secret Meetings um, and had symbols uh, in the same way as the Hellfire Club did, uh, but it was always—it's always been demonized, hasn't In the same way as Freemasonry, has
0: Yes, and even in, at the level of the individual. I mean, in the early 20th century, uh, you had Aleister Crowley, for example. <laughs> now it's now is starting to gain more uh, respect by uh, people who are yeah. studying the occult and by, and people who are studying uh, um, early uh 20th century poetry he was he was a, he was a, one of the greatest meter poet uh poets of his time and um yeah. you have uh his reputation was smeared during his lifetime and many times it was because he had such a good sense of humor that he didn't yeah. he didn't think it he thought it was funny you know the things they were saying about him
1: yeah, well, yes, and, he would, uh,
0: and would add fuel to the fire no doubt yeah, and and he did, and you know he was one of those guys. Saying that there's no such thing as bad press, correct? And uh, and so he said, you know, if they if they want to call me the wickedest man in the world, that's great because uh, I'll sell more books and uh, more people will will, will read yeah. my writings. And so he, he really didn't have a problem with it.
2: There's an interesting Absolutely. thing about speaking about Crowley. Uh, uh, this seems to be paranormal that, that that follows him around. Now, is that because? And, and actually okay I'm, I mean, I'm even going to go farther than that uh, in a lot of cigarette societies there seems to be uh, tends to be a lot of uh, paranormal activity that occurs uh, are related to the society. Is that because and, and I'm just throwing this out there is because they do things in cigarette and therefore uh, it, it just would blend
0: itself to it? I mean, I think that that's of course, I think definitely, the four powers of the Sphinx are uh, in in the Western tradition are are kind of the armament of the magician, and uh, they are to will, to know, to dare, and to keep silent. And so, if if you follow out those four powers, um, then whatever whatever you are working, uh, whatever aim or goal you're working toward, has a better, much better chance of coming to fruition. And uh, so I think that definitely, by having the secrecy, uh, you do increase the, the vibration of something. Okay. Um, but at the same time, occult members, uh, secret society members, tend to be the worst secret keepers on the face <laughs> of the planet. Really? Yeah. I mean, all, Crowley uh, ended up publishing, you know, the Golden Dawn material. Now, of course, he yes. he he believed that uh, uh, it was defunct. So, you know, he didn't see it as an oath, as oath-breaking, and also because of his um, spiritual beliefs, he didn't see it as an oath-breaking. Uh, uh, but that just happens all the time. I mean, you have yeah, – my, my joke is if you want someone – if you want everybody to know something, tell somebody in a secret society. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, if, if they are really secret, they're not doing a very good job of it. I mean, the Freemasonic uh, symbols are everywhere. You know, you driving down the highway, you see where the lodge is. You know, so uh, I always say uh, that, you know, we're not really secret so much as we have secrets. You know, that That's true. The That's society regulated. itself has secrets, yes. the society is not secret in itself. Uh, there have been some secret societies over time, but they tended to come together uh, for very specific aims, uh, such as the assassination of, you know, uh, for example, the assassination of Julius Caesar. You know, that was a secret mm-hmm. society. came together for a short time and then disintegrated after uh, after it worked, um, you know, so those tend to be the kind of societies that we should really be worried about are the ones that are really secret and then have political or criminal ends. Um, yeah, that we don't know yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's what you don't know that kills you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And they
1: are good at keeping secrets because they have to.
0: They have to. Their places like, on the Yeah, line, you know? yeah.
1: But those that don't really have to keep it a secret don't keep it. See, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely right what you say. But you see, is it not us to a certain extent that that almost make them secret or call them secret? And because we don't understand, we're frightened.
0: I agree with you. And uh, I think that secrecy is a symbol as well. And uh, if you understand Mm. that the secret is a symbol, that the idea that there's something that you don't know and that through, um, through work or through uh, elevating yourself through work and through, through various practices, you can attain that secret. And in, in the book, I, I kind of hint a little bit at that the secret, the secret, you know, big S, um, is right. really a point of view rather than a piece of information. And that if you, if you change your point of view, um, then all of a sudden these new and beautiful things uh, come out and And you get a bigger world and, and a more interesting one
2: mm-hmm. you know yeah the other the other thing too is uh a lot of uh cultures believe that the power of the word for instance is is, is written, a written word has power uh, yeah. uh, you know uh how, how does it is it power because it's once again, going back to the symbol stuff it is because we believe that it's written down. Therefore, it exists now, or is it just because it's? Uh, well, let me go that way. If you, were, it's written down, it exists. whereas If it's a thought, it doesn't really exist as as powerful as is something that's written down.
0: Yeah, I I, um, I think it's the chicken or the egg thing. Uh, you know, it. <laughs> you know, um, I think most of the time, um. At least in my personal experience, there's been words that I come across that I have never heard up until I'm involved in the secret tradition. You know, it is words I never once saw, and when I first see them, they're very strange and they don't mean anything. And they're you know what a magician would call a barbarous name. And um, there's a certain power to uh, the, a certain psychological power that a word you don't know the meaning to can have over you. Um, if, if, if you're know that it's important, but yet you're unaware of what its import is, uh, that Mm -hmm. can be very, that can be threatening and therefore cause you to pay more attention to it, which is again, one of the techniques of the secret societies is to cause you to be afraid of the very thing they're going to make you love, uh, because, you know, you pay attention to it more. And as you pay attention, you start to notice things, you make observations and before you know it, it's familiar. And and you actually, um, have come to, to have an affection for it. And so when it comes to, like, for example, the word yod He vav He, you know, the divine word, the four-letter divine word uh, of God in the Hebrew tradition, um, you know, I had heard the word Jehovah, or Jehovah growing up, mm-hmm. uh, but I had never really seen it written. I had not ever given it any thought other than it's what, you know, people, a name for God. And when I got involved in the secret tradition there, you know, all of a sudden it was like an element, it talked about the four elements, it talked about uh, these yogic processes where the mind is halted uh, through the use of the name and the pronouncing of the name and all this sort of stuff. And over time, you know, I can honestly say that now the word means a lot more for me uh, than it did when I first started. So I, I think that you know the the idea that the word itself can have some inherent power is definitely uh is definitely valid but through working with the word and through making it a part of your life you you give it power and mm-hmm. hopefully you do it in a way that has a positive outcome for you there's a lot of words that we've given power to that that don't have positive outcomes right uh, for us, and so you know, it's all about choice and deciding where to put your energy. I think.
2: So basically, if you curse someone, it's the the power of the word. And the, yes. Yeah. But we actually have a question from the uh, Perex chat room, and and this is uh, actually it's a kind of a discussion thing. They're saying to a fellow Mason, is the Masonic law higher than the law of the land, which takes preference? And this is from Tommy and from Northern Ireland. Mm.
1: What do, you, what do you think, Richard? <laughs> Gosh, well, that, oh, I would say no. No, it, it certainly does not uh, take precedence over the law of the land. Um, and again, as I, as I say, uh, I mean, to be quite honest, over here, certainly in, in the, 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 the lodge that I was in, uh, m- most, most of the, 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 the folks that were in it were, were either ex-policemen or sometimes not ex policemen, and 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 the military guys um an awful lot of them were um and so you know obviously the, those sort of people we're talking about you know the the, the law of the land comes first and and again it, it's a misapprehend people misapprehend the whole the whole idea i think of, of masonry you know? and it is purely and simply my idea of, as you said a, a fraternity a brotherhood that is out there uh, for friendship uh
0: and to do good. Yeah, uh, I, yeah exactly I agree enough. with you. I agree with you 100%. Uh, the, at no point in at least what I have studied of masonry and in the fraternities that I um, am a part of that, that are basically uh, uh, offshoots of, of regular masonry, um, at no point am I ever given the slightest idea that uh, that Masonic are that our particular law is higher. Now, what what we do, I think, what where that can be confusing for some people is that we believe in the rights of man, and we believe in inalienable rights in terms of uh, man's right to be what he is, man's right to, and I mean this is human beings, is all humanity, um, uh, you know, man's right to to uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as we'd say in the states. Um, now. You know, we also believe that human beings have the right to defend those rights. And, you know, sometimes there are governments that are not – in fact, most of the time, if you look throughout the history of the world, governments that respect the rights of their citizenry is the exception, not the rule. Yes. yes. And, um, you know, we, we have to remember that um, even though that our society is relatively – Depending on who you talk to, but you know, mainstream ideas. Our society our society is a free society, you know, compared to what's going on right now in Libya, for example, or yeah. you know, yeah. or North Korea. You know, we have a free society. And so, you know, um yes, I would say that the that the ideal is that the Masonic law, the law of liberty or the, the law of uh you know the law of uh brotherhood and fraternity and, and looking out for each other and doing the right thing and all that would be in line with the law of your country and if it's not if it's not if you live in a country which i have friends that that live in in countries that it's not that way um and family members um being of cuban descent um i have you know family members that live in countries where it's not that way um your, your emphasis rather than meeting at the lodge all the time which is important uh you need to you need to go out and you need to change change, change your country you know and you need to make it a a, a place where that where freedom is is uh Freedom is the way things go. So, you know, according to our tradition, um, you know, human beings, human beings want to be free. They inherently want to have liberty. They want to have freedom of thought, and uh, I mean, that's what Masonry is all about, as far as I, I'm concerned.
2: Cheers. Okay. <laughs> if anybody has a, another question, by the way, they can certainly call in at uh, 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, or join us uh, in the Tojanetta Pararex chat room. And someone actually said that uh, the, the word Jehovah was, uh, or the word, in, I guess, was so sacred that they actually mixed the letters up so that it would be protected, and that—that's how it came to Jehovah. I, I have no clue of what they're saying, but
0: mm, I've heard that that as well. I've—I've I've heard actually that there's a lot of ways to pronounce that name. Really? Um, yeah, yeah and, and it all goes back to what you were talking about before with the uh, what you know. Do we give them? Do we give symbols power, or do they have an inherent power in them? Um, you know, like INRI is a perfect example. You know. Uh, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, I N R I. You know, we hear that a lot. And growing up, if you grew up as a Christian, and mm-hmm. um, you know, when you form, when you get into the secret tradition, a lot of times you say, "Oh, well, you know, what it really means is, you know, through fire all things are made pure." Or uh, you know, uh, another, you know, they use the, they use the letters to to in you know, to to say other things other than Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, mm-hmm. and so you know. I guess each each group interprets the symbol differently, um, and uh, you know what we're left with is at the end of the day, it's how do you use the symbol? Yes, indeed. So, you know, we all we all we all say the word God. You know, we yeah. say it all the time. But how do we use that word? You know, one person might use it to control another person. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person yes. might use it to to help liberate themselves. So, right. You know, But, I mean, it it goes all the way back. I mean,
2: if you really look all through history, objects, uh, symbols being those objects... um, have a lot of power when you think about it. Uh, you know the the Roman legions when the, when they went into battle, they carried the the standards or whatever they were. uh the, mm, the things right. And and even in our civil war, uh, the North and the South, and, and 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 in your war as well, Richard, the the, the the flag bearer, the color bearer. I mean, he was you know it was important to capture the flag. I mean that oh absolutely, I mean, absolutely so and they do have power for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yes, and they and did have, have power. In, in, and capturing a flag could actually change the outcome of a battle. Believe it or not, even the, the, though the, the, one side might yeah. be winning or losing, uh, that mere uh, yeah. act of capturing that symbol can change the tide. So, so true. We're,
0: so so true. What we're really talking about too is what, what Crowley would have called the magical link. You know, is yes. that there's a there's a link, there's an occult link and you know a lot of the 19th century magicians called it you know an astral astral fluid or you know, there's there's some kind of psychological pull that these symbols do have and you can really ruin you can ruin an entire nation through the destruction of a symbol you know that's what i think that's what really 9-11 was about you know 911 was about the symbol of the twin towers about you know bringing that down oh, yes, of course. What that sure. did, you know what that did to us as a, as a nation what what that did to our psyche and um, you know the great magicians, for good or for bad, have always known that and always used that in order to to control people or to influence people in some way. And the more educated you are about it, uh, the I, get, I think the more you can choose whether you're going to um, whether you're going to be affected by it as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you because know, if you it's know that true, that's okay. what's going on, then you're then you're aware. Yeah. Well, very be quickly. Quickly, quickly before we yep. finish, Ron. Yep. Have we got time to mention the pentagram?
1: Uh, uh-huh. Yeah,
2: we got about a minute that we can do that.
0: Because, come on, that was a religious symbol, wasn't it, originally? Yes, yes. It's got so much. The pentagram is the pentagram is one of the most beautiful and uh, complex and yet simple things. And, yes. um, you know, you could devote volumes to the yeah, pentagram. Sure. You know, it's got the divine, uh, the golden mean in the pentagram. Yeah um, you know, the sacred sacred geometry stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I've heard, in some of my studies i found, uh, it uh, used to be put in a lot of Christian homes, as uh, symbolizing the five, the five wounds of Christ. The Trinity, yeah, that's right. Yep, right. So, and yet, uh, turn it upside down, and everyone goes all silly and starts talking evil. Mm, yeah. Yes, which again, you know, uh, to, <laughs> to, the, to many of the secret traditions, the upside-down pentagram <laughs> simply means the word made flesh. So, yeah. you know, you have the upward pentagram, which is the spiritualization of matter, and then the downward-facing pentagram would mean uh, the, materialization, uh, the materialization of spirit. So yeah. it's totally wholesome, and, and most of us yeah. think of that stuff all the time, oh, manifesting or whatever. And yet, oh, right. uh, you show the symbol and you play some uh, heavy metal music and everybody gets upset.
1: That's Sorry, right, Daniel. Amazing, isn't it?
2: Daniel, I hate to say this, but we want to thank you so much for being on the show. Well, I don't mean hate to say but I mean I hate to say we're done. <laughs> but so uh, well, that's how it went. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, you know it was good. It, I would have loved to get into some more stuff. Maybe we can ever you on again. Uh, Let's, we'll get him Let's get back. Let's
0: get back home.
2: Yeah. Well, thank so, you
0: very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you both. And your I've book is available player. everywhere, I believe, it. right? Yes, Amazon or on the on the all the all the bookstores. All right, Daniel. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Richard. Bye. Well, that was good. Two things I do want to mention, and I know you have something quick, too, uh, is that uh, tomorrow night, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, we're going to have talk to a woman who can talk to people in comas, which is kind of interesting. And also Thursday, I will be on Pararex on Marla Brooks' show, the Stirring the Codron, one of my favorite witches from the West Coast. So that'll be fun.
1: And, And Richard, you have something to tell us as well, don't you? Well, I've got this Wales from the Jails event that I'm doing that I mentioned before that I'm actually, uh, but I also, uh, um, we're, we're, I'm doing, starting a, um, uh, a three-month uh, show uh, going around the country, uh, four, approximately 40 theatre shows, uh, September, October and November, it's called Psychic and Science, and, and there's myself, and guess what, Chris Conway. Who, of course, escaped from Most Haunted. Um, the two of us and, and a, a young lady um, called Denise Mott as well, who's a paranormal investigator. We're doing this uh, theatre show, uh, and hopefully, with a bit of luck, Ron, we've got them all coming on the, on the show next next Tuesday night. Oh, excellent! That would be good. Uh, we, we have a um, quick question. Quick question
2: for the chat room for you, Richard. So, uh, Paul oh, yeah. wants Paul wants to know. He says, "Are you
1: including Ruffin Jail in your ghost tour?" Yes, I, I will do. be going to riff in Jail. Indeed I will, and lots of others all around the country. And Ron, I've I've had an email from a lady. I live in Sacramento, California. I've been listening faithfully to your radio show with Ron Dolec. You are such a delight to listen to on Ghost Chronicles. And she's coming over here to Derby to do a ghost walk with me um, on the 5th of April. She's actually coming over here to do a ghost walk, and her name is, her name is Sherry. Sherry Leidenbach. And Sherry, if you're listening, um, I'll do my best to try and be there for you, my love. But I will be back. You'll do fine, Richard. But you know what? When you came over here, I was totally impressed with
2: your presentation. It was it was awesome. I, I really ah. enjoyed listening to you. And trust me, I heard the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> okay. Well, we will need to get you over here, Ronald. Really get- uh, yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. It it's will. supposed to happen. Of well, course. Will indeed. But any, anything else quick? Oh, tomorrow, tonight, by the way, if if you're in uh, Andover, you want to come down to Andover, we will be doing my paranormal study group, which will be table tipping, tapping, turning, tilting, whatever the hell it is. You're yeah. right.
1: You watch I, it rise from the floor, my friend. Oh, it'll be interesting. So. Hey. Richard? Hey. Once again, it's a pleasure. It's been great. Really good show. Really enjoyed it. Well, have a good night, everyone. Talk to you soon, guys. Happy hauntings.
2: From goalies to ghosties, long leggedy beasts and things that go home and Deliver us